Well, good morning, Evanston Bible Fellowship. Uh, my name is Mitchell Cruitt. I'm one of the pastoral apprentices here at EBF. Uh, in a nutshell, that means for the last three and a half years, I have been uh, studying at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School to become a pastor. And during that time, EBF has been a training grounds for me where I could cut my teeth on ministry and preaching. And and it's hard to believe for me, but in just a few short weeks, I will be graduating. You have no idea what kind of good news that is for me. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but, But even though I'm graduating and feel prepared for ministry through my training both at Trinity and here at EBF, I am still a young aspiring preacher, and as a young preacher, I am going to need your help preaching this morning, Uh, especially the Sunday after Thanksgiving, when we are all likely to go into a food comatose, not just you, uh, but myself. I don't want you to go to sleep. You don't want me to go to sleep. That would be really awkward. Um, So I'm going to ask for you to help the preacher this morning. So are y'all ready to help the preacher this morning? All right, you did a little bit better than first service, but I still think that you might need some help helping me. So I'm going to give you a few instructions before we get started this morning. So there's three ways I'd invite you to help me this morning. The first, real simple. I'm going to ask you if you've experienced something, and you'll raise your hand just to show that you've experienced it. Got it? This is real easy. Let's try it. Please raise your hand if you're going to help the preacher this morning. All right, a little bit of slow there. I know your arms are working just fine. You ate the other day, got that turkey up to your mouth. We'll get, we'll get in the rhythm by the end of this. Second, I might ask you uh, to help by repeating something to your neighbor, just to make sure it sinks in. Uh, so the way this will work is I'll say, tell your neighbor something. You'll turn to your neighbor and repeat it. If you don't have a neighbor, just look at me and tell me. All right, let's practice. Tell your neighbor, we're going to help the preacher this morning. All right, y'all are getting there, good. Uh, And the final thing I'd encourage you to do, and I know not all of you will feel comfortable using this advanced help the preacher technique, but if you do, um, if you feel the Spirit speaking to you, would you let us know by saying, preach it, amen, hallelujah, something else, just let us know that you hear God speaking to you this morning. Thank you. Now, now are y'all ready to help the preacher this morning? All right, we're, we're getting rolling. Good. Well, before we get started, we need to ask the Lord for help preaching as well as for hearing his word, uh, as well as for his grace in the midst of yet another week of brokenness in our world. So would you join me in prayer? Sovereign God, help us. This week we are again reminded of the brokenness in our world. We lament the violence, death, and injustice in our world, especially this week in Chicago and Minneapolis. We thank you that justice can and does still break into our world, and so we ask that your justice would reign, especially in the situation surrounding the deaths of Laquan McDonald and Jamar Clark, as well as the shooting of the protesters in Minneapolis, would you please provide the comfort uh, that only you can provide to the families who are mourning? Would you give wisdom, grace, and courage to our brothers and sisters at Trinity City Church in Minneapolis as they seek to come alongside those who are hurting? 
Would you grant the police departments across uh, the nation wisdom and righteousness as they seek uh, to administer justice well, whether it be on the city streets or within their precincts? Lord, it is fitting on Advent Sunday in the midst of this brokenness as we wait for you that we cry, come Lord Jesus, come Lord, we want you to come and make all things right. And as we wait this morning, we ask for your help as I preach the word. Would you speak through me and would you help all of us to hear and respond to your word? We confess that our hearts are hardened to your word. But you have told us that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit. So Lord, would you pierce our hearts this morning so that we may respond to you with faith, love, and obedience. It's because of Christ we pray. Amen. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. William Ernest Henley inspires us with these two lines from Invictus to seize control when destiny has set her face against us. There's at least one problem with Henley's hope. Did you notice it? The problem with Henley's hope is that our fate cannot be mastered. Our destiny cannot be controlled. Has anyone ever tried to plan for every contingency only for your plan to still fall apart? Has anyone ever had a whole lot riding on one single moment only for that moment to slip through your fingers? If you have ever seen your plans unravel one thread at a time like a favorite shirt worn too long, then God has a word for you this morning. So can I just get a show of hands? How many people have seen their plans fail? I should see every hand. If you didn't raise your hand, uh, would you please just let the congregation know, especially myself, how you've made it this far through life without a plan failing? We would really appreciate that insight into life. But for the rest of us uh, who have experienced failing, the Lord has something to tell us about our failing plans. And one of the most significant moments in my life, my plans completely unraveled. When the Lord called me to ministry, I responded by applying to seminaries, and Trinity was one of those seminaries, but it was just a little too expensive for me to actually consider unless I received one of their full tuition scholarships. And in March of 2012, I received an email letting me know that I had made it through the first round and needed to come to Trinity for an interview. I was as excited as a child the night before Christmas and as nervous as a man about to pop the question. But at the same time, this subtle confidence began to bubble up within me. I would board my plane to Chicago. I would nail my interview. I would receive the current scholarship. And I would graduate from Trinity with an MDiv. Well, the morning came for me to board my plane to Chicago, so I threw my bags in the car and drove to the airport. As I parked, I I noticed I was running a little close on time, but nothing really to worry about, until I got to the security checkpoint. To my horror, rather than seeing lines progressing towards the checkpoint in an orderly fashion, I found a zoo. 
It was terrible. I entered the crowd and slowly began to crawl forward, watching my time tick away. And when I made it through the gate, I began sprinting towards my gate, dragging my luggage behind me. And I made it just in time to tell the flight attendant, I have to get on this plane. My future depends on it. You know what? I was in luck. She called down the end of the hallway and said, Hold the door. We have one more passenger. Only to hear back. It's too late. I've already shut the door. In one fell swoop, my plans had unraveled. My dreams were crushed. And you know, the problem wasn't just that I couldn't control my destiny. It's that I thought I could. Has anyone else thought they can control their plans for tomorrow? Am I the only one? Come on. All right, all right, good. Well, this morning in James 4, 13 through 17, James is going to show us how faith in a sovereign Lord works in our plans. If you remember, James has been writing to Jewish Christians who have been scattered due to persecution. And time and time again, James has reminded these persecuted people that the same faith that saves gives hope and oppression and perseverance through opposition. The same faith that save works in the world. And now, James is going to show us how that faith in a sovereign Lord works by preventing boasting in our plans. So in case you missed it, James 4, 13 through 17's primary exhortation is, don't boast in your plans. Would you tell your neighbor, don't boast in your plans? All right, we're, we're getting there. Keep working at it. Um, Well, James 4, 13 through 17 is going to provide us with three methods to prevent boasting in our plans for tomorrow. Uh, So if you haven't yet, would you please open with me to James 4, verse 13 through 17. And would you hear James 4, 13 read aloud as we see the first method James provide. When you've got it, say, I got it. I'll wait just a little bit longer. All right, let's, let's read God's word. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The first method James provides to prevent boasting in our plans is to recall our mortality. Would you tell your neighbor, recall your mortality? Good. Well, James has addressed those who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. See, there are those in this congregation who had exceptional aspirations. They plan to travel the ancient world trading and make a profit. But James says, there's a problem with the way you're making your plans. He says, you plan, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He he tells them, you haven't yet considered what could happen on your journey. Suppose you journey by road. You could be attacked by robbers, just like our brother who needed rescue on his journey to Jericho. Our brother who was stripped, beaten, and left for dead. Our brother who needed a good Samaritan to carry him the rest of the way to Jericho. 
Oh, you haven't yet considered what could happen on your journey. Suppose you journey by sea. Well, you could be shipwrecked at sea, like our brother Paul, who was shipwrecked at least three times and left on the rolling waves. And he was doing exactly what the Lord had told him to do. You haven't yet considered what could happen on your journey. Suppose you do make it there. And suppose you even begin to make a profit. Have you considered what could happen then? Do you remember what else happened to our brother Paul in Ephesus? Well, Demetrius, the silversmith, got so upset when his pocketbook was getting hit, he stirred up his whole guild to riot against Paul for preaching a gospel that demanded people set aside their silver-made idols to worship the risen Christ. Your prophet could make your competitors angry. Your prophet could lead an angry mob to be stirred up against you. You haven't yet considered what could happen on your journey. See, the problem with your plans is not that you've made plans. The problem is that you're planning to journey to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit without recalling your mortality. You have the audacity not just to make a plan, but to assert you are going to do all these things. You have forgotten your mortality. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Just like a sea mist that splashes your face for a moment before being blown away by the wind, your life appears for but a moment before it returns to dust. Just like a morning fog so thick that your hand disappears in front of your face, but disappears in an instant as the rising sun burns up the morning mist, so your life appears for a little time and then vanishes. Just like the visible vapor as you breathe in and out on a cold winter day disappears just as quickly as you breathe, so your mortal life is a speck that disappears on the timeline of eternity. Have you realized that your life is but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? You need to recall your mortality. James says the problem with these merchants' plans is that they haven't recalled their mortality. But what might he say to us? Well, perhaps James would say, come now, you professionals, who say, we will work hard and get promoted and travel the country on business and slowly climb up the corporate ladder. Yet you do not know what your hard work will bring or when it will come. Do you not know that this night might be the night your soul is required of you? Then what profit is your plan to climb up the corporate ladder? Recall your mortality. Or perhaps he might say, Come now, you students who say, We will study four years and graduate and spend a year or two overseas on missions and change the world for Jesus. Yet you do not know what effect your travels will bring. Have you forgotten that you are God's instrument and it is God who gives life? You might make one convert, but apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, that convert will be twice the son of hell they were before. Do not boast in your plans for evangelizing. Do not boast in your plans for anything. Recall your mortality. You are but a drop in the river of eternity. Recall your mortality. How might James fill in the blank if he was speaking directly to you? What is your plan that would follow the come now, you who say, we will? 
we will what? How did you fill that in? Regardless of what your plan is, the first method James provides us to prevent boasting in our plans is to recall our mortality. James wants us to recall that our lives are but a mist that appear for a little time and then vanish. Well, we've still got a lot of work to do, so would you keep reading with me in verse 15? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. See, James tells the problem with the merchant's plans is not just that they've forgotten their mortality, but they have forgotten Christ's sovereignty. James' second method to prevent boasting in our plans is to remember Christ's sovereignty. Would you tell your neighbor, remember Christ's sovereignty? James tells these merchants that they need to consider what the Lord wills as the basis not only for what they do, but as the foundation for every breath they breathe. If the Lord wills, we will live, and then do this or that. Yet this statement is not a formula for how we ought to speak of our plans, as if that would solve the problem. The problem, James says, is not how you talk, but rather you boast in your arrogance. Does anyone know they can say all the right things and still have a wicked heart? Does anyone know that? Come on. One person. All right. Thank you. See, the problem here is not what we say or how we say it. The problem is a heart that boasts in its arrogance. Now, if I could just remember what the Apostle Paul says when he uses this same phrase. Doesn't he tell us to boast in something? Does he tell us, let the one who boasts, boast in his arrogance? No, he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The same Lord that Paul tells us to boast in is the very same Lord that James tells us our life depends on. This Lord is the master of our fate, the captain of our soul. This Lord is in control. This is what it means to be sovereign. This Lord authored our galaxy, breathed life into humanity. He governs our reality. He died in humility and rose victoriously. Who is this Lord? He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Christianity. Rather than boasting in our arrogance, planning in our ignorance, walking in our independence, let us remember Christ's sovereignness. But what will this look like? Well, if we remember Christ's sovereignty, one of the first things that we'll do is we will plan according to his will. Or as Jesus tells us in Matthew, we will seek first the kingdom of God. When we plan and schedule our lives, we'll consider the Lord's will before our will. Will our plans allow us to be honest in our work? Will our plans help us to be more generous? Will our plans allow time to disciple and evangelize? Will our plans help us to worship our Lord or to neglect our God? See, the first way we can remember Christ's sovereignty is by making plans with his will in mind. Second, if we remember Christ's sovereignty, we will recover a robust sense of Christ's sovereignty over every sphere of life. The theologian Abraham Kuyper puts it this way. In the total expanse of human life, 
there is not a single square inch of which the Christ, who alone is sovereign, does not declare, that is mine. If you didn't catch it, Kuiper says that Christ's sovereignty extends over everything, and everything includes every sphere of life, whether that be at home, our relationships, evangelism, discipleship, or even our work. Did you know that God has a plan for your work? Whether you're a a mother, a student, an accountant, a software designer, a janitor, something else, God desires for your work to contribute to the flourishing of this creation he declared good. And as Christians, we need to be working towards a clear understanding of how our work is a part of contributing to this flourishing. Otherwise, we'll continue to feel like Paul's exhortation to do all things to the glory of God is just out of reach. I mean, how can we do all to the glory of God if we don't know how our work is under Christ's sovereignty? And if we don't know how our work glorifies God? It's what we do with most of our life. As just one example of what I mean, consider the work of a barista at a coffee shop. The best coffee shops contribute to the flourishing of creation, not just by providing delicious drinks we enjoy on cold mornings, but they contribute to flourishing by creating third spaces or or spaces where our real selves can show, spaces where genuine relationship can take place. Just consider how Brothers K has provided such a warm atmosphere for relationships to form for people in this congregation, let alone the whole Evanston community. And so a barista then contributes to the flourishing of creation, not just by making delicious drinks we enjoy, but even by mopping the floors and cleaning the bathrooms. Because it's by doing this work that we create an atmosphere that people would want to stay at and would want to linger as it's warm and inviting. So could you articulate how your work contributes to the flourishing of creation? If you can't, I urge you to begin a dialogue with your brothers and sisters in this congregation about how your work contributes to the flourishing of God's good creation. And if you already have this vision, I urge you to please come alongside those who don't. If you don't know where to start, you might consider one of the hundreds of college students we have in this congregation. Find one that shares your profession and walk alongside them, casting God's vision for their work. Or in light of the dedications we just had, we have so many new parents. If you're a veteran parent, maybe you could come alongside and help these parents figure out how parenthood fits in God's big picture. Well, if we are going to remember Christ's sovereignty, we must reclaim a sense of Christ's sovereignty over every sphere of life, including his plans for our work. Well, third, if we remember Christ's sovereignty, we will recognize that our plans may not be God's plans, and in humility, we'll trust his plans instead. But you may say to me, who cares that God's sovereign? That doesn't mean I can trust him. And you'd be right if our God wasn't a God who gives graciously to all without reproach. You'd be right if our God wasn't the source of every good and perfect gift. 
You'd be right if our God wasn't the father of lights within whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. You'd be right if our God did not give more grace. You'd be right if our God did not draw near to those who drew near to him. But our God is all that. And he also graciously gave us his son. And how with his son will he not also graciously give us all things? He's already given us the best thing in Jesus Christ. And if he's been willing to give up his son, we can be so confident that he will give us everything we need. Our God is not only sovereign, he is good. We can trust him. So whenever you're tempted to boast in your plans, remember Christ's sovereignty. Have you placed your faith in this sovereign Lord in such a way that you no longer need to boast in your plans, but can trust his? This is how faith works when it comes to our plans. If you're having trouble trusting the sovereign Christ, can I just suggest you begin by remembering his sovereignty displayed in your life? Remember that time a friend came at just the right moment to comfort you. Remember that time money showed up in your account at just the right moment to pay a bill. Remember that the same Christ who created the cosmos is the Christ who sustains your every experience right now. I hope that this will not only challenge us not to boast in our plans, but I hope this will be an encouragement to those of us who are already acutely aware of our lack of control. I think of our brothers and sisters in this congregation who are aspiring musicians. From what I can tell, those aspiring to be musicians are also signing up to be schooled in the reality of Christ's sovereignty. The story I've heard is that there are far more musicians than there are open positions. And at audition after audition, you put your heart into performing well, only to be well aware the odds are stacked against you. It's clear you're not in control. And for anyone who similarly recognized that they're not in control and that their plans have to be held loosely, Christ's sovereignty, I hope, will encourage you. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ was willing to live, die, and be resurrected for wicked sinners like you and like me. If Christ loved us even at our worst, then at the very least we can trust his intentions. Yet it is because Christ not only loves us, but is sovereign over all creation, including our plans, that we can trust not only his intentions, but we can trust that he is acting on our behalf right now. Did you hear that? I don't want you to miss this. Christ is acting on your behalf right now. This is good news. Though we may wonder what God is up to, because he's sovereign and good, we can trust that he's in control and that every single one of our experiences will ultimately be for our good and for God's glory. Though we may long to win a position at the CSO, though we may long for our cancer to go into remission, though we may long for a relationship to be reconciled, though we may long for someone to finally acknowledge us, though our life may seem to fall apart, though our plans may not seem to go our way, we can be absolutely confident that Christ is in control 
And he will use whatever we're going through for our good. So whether you're tempted to boast in your plans or need encouragement to endure your current condition, I urge you, remember Christ's sovereignty. Would you continue reading with me in verse 17 to see the third and final method James provides us to prevent boasting. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Did you know that sin is not only doing the right thing, it's failing to do the right thing? That was wrong. Did you know that sin is not only doing the wrong thing, it's failing to do the right thing? Sometimes we think sin is those bad things we do, like cheating, lying, stealing, coveting, hating, gossiping. But we forget sin is also failing to evangelize. Sin is also failing to show hospitality. Sin is also failing to seek justice for the poor and marginalized. Sin is failing to do our jobs with integrity. Sin is failing to account for the Lord's will and our plans. Sin is failing to do all that God has called us to do. And brothers and sisters, I don't say these things to cast guilt or shame on you for all the ways we've failed. And and there are many, for me, for you, I'm sure we could recount them. But I say this to remind you, sin is a far greater problem than we ever could have imagined. Sometimes we think if we could just stop doing this thing or that thing, we'd finally be okay. But if we truly recalled all that God has called us to be, we'd realize that we won't just be spending one lifetime, but we'll be spending all eternity being brought into Christ-like conformity. Sin is a far greater problem than we ever could have imagined. But we have a far greater solution than we ever could have hoped for. Listen to the good news of the gospel. The same Lord who is sovereign over our plans is the same Lord who died for our sins. The same Lord who gives life gives grace. And it is this same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who enables us moment by moment to respond in conformity. See, the good news is that those who repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will not only be declared righteous before God, but they'll actually be able enabled to walk in righteousness. Did you hear that? That is such good news for wicked sinners like us. The good news is that those who repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will not only be declared righteous, but will be enabled to walk in righteousness. We will be free from the habitual sins that enslave us. We are free to walk with Christ as he desires. This is good news. So in all the ways we failed to do what is right, where, where do we start walking with Jesus? Well, James does not conclude with this reminder of what sin is in order for us to remember all the ways we failed. But rather, James concludes with this reminder, because now that we have recalled our mortality and remembered Christ's sovereignty, we're without excuse. When it comes to making plans, we can no longer 
boast in our plans, but by the power found in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must respond in conformity. This is the third method to prevent our boasting in plans. Tell your neighbor, respond in conformity. Well, to help us respond in conformity, we might ask ourselves a few diagnostic questions. First, have, have I acknowledged that God is in control of my future and I am not? Have you realized that? Second, have I included in my plans God's desires for my life according to his word? And I realize that question's a little bit abstract, so let me make it real concrete for you. Have I included in my plans for a promotion that has new responsibilities, God's desire for me to love and be present with my family? Have I included in my plans for a new business venture, God's desire for economic justice for my employees and my community? Have I included in my plans for Sunday morning God's desire for me to regularly and faithfully gather for worship with my new family in Christ? So again, as we are thinking about these things, let me ask again. Have you included in your plans God's desire for your life according to his word? And third and finally, have I prayed about my plans? I know we all like to think we've actually invited God into our planning process, but when was the last time you really prayed about your plans? Just a question. Let us no longer boast in our plans, but rather let us recall our mortality, remember Christ's sovereignty, and then respond in conformity. It wasn't until I heard the flight attendant tell me, I'm sorry you're not going to be able to board this plane, that I finally began to recall my mortality. But not quite yet. I had to catch a plane to Chicago after all. I had an interview for a scholarship. So I began darting to and fro, airline after airline, asking if there was any flights that could get me to Chicago on time. You know what? Every last seat was sold out. Can you believe that? That's crazy. And at that last airline... I broke into tears. And it was at that moment that I finally realized that the same God who had given me the interview in the first place was the the Lord in control that very moment. And he could provide a way for me to get to Trinity if he wanted to. So I asked God to provide a way for me uh, to return to Trinity. (laughs) Uh, I remembered his sovereignty and responded in prayer. And I walked up to one final airline. And to my joy and to God's glory, they had one seat left. I boarded my new plane to Chicago. I made it to my interview on time. And I received the scholarship I needed to go to Trinity. See, missing my plane was God's way of reminding me not to boast in my plans. Because our Lord is sovereign and we're not. Let us not boast in our plans, but rather with James, let us cry. I am not the master of my fate. I am not the captain of my soul. The Lord is my master, my captain. 
If the Lord wills, then let it be so. Would you please pray with me? Father, we have heard your word, but we confess that even when we know we're not in control, it's so hard to give up control. So Lord, would you help us by your spirit to trust you with what tomorrow holds? We know that because you have already given us your son, Jesus, we can be confident that you will graciously give us everything we need. Yet even knowing this does not help us to live in faith. So would you let the reality of your sovereignty graciously break into our hearts so that we would trust you. Because of Christ, our sovereign Lord, we can pray. Amen.